You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for tuning in to tonight's Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan, on St. Patrick's Day. Hopefully you've had a great time celebrating all that is Irish and you'll be delighted to hear that I have a wonderful Irish stew recipe coming up in the show tonight, along with wine, honey, news from the kingdom and a supper club in Cork City. If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to drop me an email, s.noonan at live.ie, or send me a tweet at Queen of Org, which is short for Queen of Organisation. But before you do, let's start the show with a toast to St. Patrick, thanks to Ron from Forestal Wines. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Ron, you're very welcome this evening. Thanks, Sharon. And you have a selection of... I wouldn't call them small bottles, but they're not as big as the normal size bottles of wine that you usually bring in. Absolutely. Well, I thought we carry a range of half bottles, uh, generally for restaurants. Now, restaurants use them in opposed to, you don't buy many of them in shops now. You wouldn't see many of them in a supermarket or anything. But restaurants use them very effectively because if you're going to have, you know, even if two people are going to have a glass of wine at lunchtime or early in the evening, that just the quality is much much better in half bottles so you get a nice cup of glasses of wine instead of like picking the house wine that may be in the restaurant so you mean the quality is better than just having a glass out of a large bottle that the the restaurant may have opened absolutely i'll just give you a run through what we have here this is a selection i carry about 20 half bottles altogether so we have a couple of french products here uh, a couple of italians um so the french ones there's a whole there's a whole lot more but what i have here i have a polifume uh, from the Loire Valley, I have a Muscat, Muscadet, Surly, again from the Loire Valley, and then from Italy we have a Pinot Grigio, a Valpolicella, and a Dagajolo. Some of these bottles look very familiar now because yeah, I've seen the bigger. They have version. a full bottle version. Now that would be uh, that would be um, a key for a restaurant that they'd have the half bottle and they'd have the full bottle for a number of reasons. Maybe somebody likes drinking the full bottle and, and, and on a given day they only want to have a half so they'd have that option. Or if somebody, like if a couple has maybe a bottle of white to start that they'd have a bottle of red, a half bottle of red afterwards, you know, that you wouldn't have two bottles, that'd be far too much. So that's why it works. But the the process, like the bottling, just to get a bit technical for a second, half bottles are produced at exactly the same time as the full bottles. Because if you notice the bottle top, the size at the top, is exactly the same as a full bottle, which means that it fits on their lines, you know, so it's filled at the same time. And that's key to it being the same product. Um, quarter bottles, for example, the ones you buy in a bar, completely different process. Um, and when you see a quarter bottle version of a wine that you recognise, you know, like Wolf Blast or any of those in a quarter bottle, they were bottled at nowhere near where the full bottles were and generally not using the same juice that's in them either. Are you saying it's the dregs that are in them? No, it's just the market is so small for quarter bottles. It's it really? Ireland and the airline industry. That's it. Um, you could travel from one end of Spain to the other. You will not find a quarter bottle in any bar or anywhere. Uh, you might find a 250 ml bottle, but that'll be really cheap and generally they're used for cooking, uh, but they would never be drank at all. Uh, it, it, England have started to use some generally just for a, a stock control purpose more than anything else. They tend to be in very busy, very big places that are very busy. But um, Ireland has a huge pub market for wine, which is driven through quarter bottles. Now that is changing as people go along, as you notice more bars would have a selection of glasses of wine in opposed to quarter bottles. I find that very interesting now about Ireland. Yes. And the airline industry, of course, which is huge. For that, quarter bottles. The airline industry, sure, I can un- totally understand that. But for Ireland as a country, what about the UK? Very little. Um, it, it's broken in there, but in a very small way. The UK use a whole lot of different varieties of, of ways of getting a, a glass of wine. They really push bottles. Um, they have two measures of wine, really. They have a small glass and a large glass. Uh, the large glass is a 250 ml glass, which is a third of a bottle. So it's um, a lot of them do offers where they, if you buy two glasses, you get the rest of the bottle free, in a, which means that they push the, the um, Witherspoons do that a lot now, the pub we're in. But they have no quarter bottles at all. Uh, but just mainly because the product is better in full bottles, in, in normal sized bottles. And um, obviously it's better value for the bar to do that because quarter bottles are quite expensive to buy because of the packaging and everything. And... 
You as a wine merchant, you're obviously explaining that to your customers, but the demand is there from the customer, from the the customer as in the drinker, as opposed to the the bar owner. Yeah, well, the, the bar. I understand the bar is the bar will give you whatever you want. You know, will give you whatever people ask for. So people are asking for quarter bottles. The the issue. I was sitting down with it with a, a company a couple of years ago that were buying quite a lot of quarter bottles, and they were having an issue with one particular quarter bottle that they had. They thought it was one particular quarter bottle. It was our most popular one, actually, as it turned out. They said it was giving people a terrible headache, <laughs> which, which we believe was an issue. It's an Irish issue, really, because people get involved in rounds. So if, if a couple go out, and, and just say it not to be a stereotype, but say the guy has a pint and, and the, the lady has a quarter bottle, say if the guy has six or seven drinks on a, on a whole night out, you know, in a long night out, if if the other partner has six or seven quarter bottles now, that's a lot of wine. It is, yeah. It's a lot of wine. That's one and a half or one and three quarter bottles of wine. So that's probably what gives you a headache more so than the um, than the actual product itself. But if they said it was one particular wine as opposed to the others in the range, or was it just the more popular? It was slightly wine? stronger. It, it was a Chilean, so the, the alcohol level was about thirteen percent. Uh, which is you know that's heavy going for for a white, and um, that was it. It was just strong, and there was they were selling so many of them that just by the law of averages, that was the one that was getting the most uh, that's feedback. That's funny, and the customers coming back and complaining then that they had headaches as a result of it. Yeah, well, and actually, the wine is sometimes the wine is very questionable in the quarter bottles, and it changes a great deal from time to time. You know, the, the actual taste of the wine could change quite a bit. Very interesting. But the half bottles are much better, much safer bet. And we've been pushing this for pubs for a long time to see if they'd take on half bottles instead of, you know, if they have an issue selling full bottles, that maybe why not sell a half bottle so somebody could come in. You know, if you're coming in on a night out, that you could get a nice half bottle and sit down and have like two glasses or a half glass, two and a half glasses of wine in a nice glass, sitting down, relaxing for the night, and opposed to being under pressure drinking quarter bottles. And how is that going? Not well, because a number, couple of reasons. First of all, half bottles tend to be in corks, as in they have a cork, so you have to open them. And okay. that's a stumbling block. Yes. Um, so it is. And the, I suppose just that the quarter bottles are so easy that they just make things very easy. They're screw off, they're single serve. And... Um, but it's something will change eventually. It will move on. There's no doubt about it. And all these bottles that you've brought in, there's corks in them. Are the big versions of them also all corks? Is that uh, Pinot Grigio? Would that yeah. come in a screw top or is that a cork? It's in a screw cap in the full version, yeah. That's what I thought. Um, the Valpolicella is now in a screw cap in the full version. Even this Dagajolo, this Italian one, is coming now in a screw cap for a full version. So why are they doing the half bottles with corks? Because the market is so small that they'd have to produce a bottle that had a screw top on it, as in the threading, and they just don't have the market for it. As in they don't sell enough of them to justify it. But they fit on the production line? Production line. Okay, interesting. We'd love it if they came in screw caps, that would just be, it would be the best news ever. That would be the, the way to go. I think that would be the stumbling block that, that out of the way if we managed to get that. It's hard to see it happening now. So the five that you have here today, how do they compare price-wise to, because I think this is the other thing that people have, that the half bottles aren't as good value for money as the big bottles. Yes. Now, people don't produce, if you notice, they don't produce a lot of house wine or cheaper wine in half bottles at all because it's just not worth it. Uh, So they tend to be slightly better products. So, for example, um, let's take the Pulifumi, the one at the top, um, the Pulifumi, a full bottle version of that is costing about 17 50 or 18 euros. Uh, and the half bottle will cost 10. Retail. As in retail, yeah. Uh, the Dogajolo, the full bottle will cost about 14 and the half bottle will cost about 8.50. So it's going to be slightly over the the half of it. But, I th- you know, you have to think about it. It's a, it's a bottle on its own. It has a cork, it has a label. You know, there's, there's a cost that's associated with doing it. But I just think there are... It's just something to keep in mind, you know, to have like to have a selection of half bottles in your house, like have a couple of three or four different varieties, maybe. So I think it's a lovely idea just to have a half bottle where you're not under any pressure to drink a bottle and you just want something nice. 
yeah, I don't know if there's many people <laughs> feel under serious <laughs> pressure to, to finish off the, the bottle and with all these yokes that they have today to, to look after the bottle, even if it's not finished, mm. like you usually do have it the next night, don't you? Oh, yeah, I, I think it's a great idea for mm. out in, in the wine bars and the restaurants, absolutely, because if there are two of you out and one's driving or whatever, mm. I think, yeah, you it's, get a nice it's a great idea. Or even, as you say, in the pub, you know, even here in Newcastle West, there's not that many bars here where you can go in and buy a full bottle. Maybe mm. there is. Maybe that's not fair. Maybe there's more now than than there used to be. But to have, if there's two of you there and one buys a bottle, then the other yeah. one feels they have to buy a bottle and you're into yeah, the two you're bottles, into whereas the two half bottles would. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a, an argument for that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So these are all available to buy yes. from. Forestal Wine Merchants and your web address is forestal.ie so all your contact information is there and thanks so much for coming in on St. Patrick's Day. No problem at all. Thanks very much. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Thanks again to Ron from Forestal Wine Merchants and if you have a wine question for Ron for his next visit you can email it to me s.noonan at live.ie and I'll put it to him when he is next in studio. Still to come tonight, Conan McDonnell will be sweetening me up with some of his bee active honey. Karen Coakley has news from the kingdom and Chef Brian McCarthy will be telling us about Green's Supper Club in Cork City. Next though, it's time to head in the Galway direction and I'm joined on the phone by Heather Flaherty. Heather is head chef of McCambridge's in Galway and chair of the Galway Food Festival. I read recently that her favourite dish is Irish stew, so who better to invite onto the show to tell us how she likes to make it. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Heather, how are you this evening? Very well, thank you for having me. I read recently that your favourite dish is Irish stew. Yeah, I love the I love the clarity of flavour in, in an Irish stew. It really you can taste the lamb and the vegetables very very cleanly when you're um when you're eating a stew. So um that's one of the things I love about it. And then I also am always drawn to comfort food, things that feel like a hug when you're eating them. So th- I suppose those for those reasons it's definitely one of my favourites. You are Canadian born, people will be able to hear that in the accent. So yeah. they they might be asking, Well, how did you come across Irish stew in the first instance? Well, the first time I had it was probably in culinary school. I um, I actually retrained at GMIT, and um, I, I I don't know. I had kind of um, stayed away from traditional Irish foods. And when we did um, Irish stew and bacon and cabbage and these kind of clean flavored dishes, I, I couldn't believe how much I loved them. I, I had kind of shied away from them before, so that's probably the first time I had it. What are your top tips? for somebody that's going to make Irish stew for the first time? Well, I think it's very important to source um, good lamb. Um, if you really want to go high-end, the any kind of any mountain lamb or um, or seaside lamb, Ackle Island mountain lamb is delicious. And they, the Connemara Hill mountain lamb is also very good. In a dish like Irish stew, you can really taste the, the difference in, in the meat. So you want to buy a high-quality meat. Um, and then just, I suppose, I'd add carrot, celery, onion, and a bouquet garni with um, with bay leaf, thyme, and parsley stalks. And I, to me, it's not an Irish stew without without a good the barley. So um, definitely, I would finish the barley, the stew for the last half hour, forty minutes with barley, and then um, a healthy dose of chopped parsley for the kind of earthiness complements the lamb, the earthiness and the sweetness in the lamb with the parsley. What do you start off doing? What's the first thing you do whenever you're going to prepare it? So I would start blanching and refreshing the lamb. Um, that's just simply putting the, the diced lamb into cold water, bringing it up to a boil and then straining it and rinsing the the lamb so that it kind of um, get rid of any impurities in the, in the diced lamb. And then um, I would top it up again with water and bring it back to the boil, add in maybe half your potatoes for, I would almost do equal parts of lamb and potatoes, uh, about one kg of each, and um, add in half your potatoes at the start so that they'll break down and actually form the sauce for the stew. And I think that also lends itself to the to the clarity of flavour because you don't, your, your sauce is being formed just with uh, the flavour from the veg and a few, um, and your bay leaf and thyme and parsley, so any particular type of potato that you recommend using? 
I think rooster potatoes are perfect for it because the um, the one the um, the potatoes that you add initially will break down completely, and then when you put in your second um, your second lot half an hour, forty minutes later, then they'll kind of they'll maintain shape but still have that nice soft texture that you need for the soup. At what point do you put the celery in? I put the celery in at the beginning, actually. I add the carrots and the onion and the celery in uh, with the potatoes. So you, uh, your blanched and refreshed lamb, your water, potatoes. Uh, I put in three carrots, two ribs of celery and one large onion, just in a, in a quite a chunky dice because you want, you know, those that texture to be around the same size as the lamb. So you, so don't be afraid to put in chunk, chunks, big chunks of vegetables. <laughs> And then just the bouquet garni and salt and pepper. And once that's boiled away for about 40 minutes, to, um, you can add in, I usually at that point add in the second potatoes and the barley and cook that for another 35, 40 minutes until your barley's tender and your stew is nice and thick and you'll have a beautiful Irish stew. I don't think I've ever come across Irish stew with barley in it before. I'm not sure where I came across it for the first time either, but the first time I had it, I thought it was a great addition. It has, it adds a certain um, kind of gelatinous quality to the stew, and then it has a nice bite to it as well. And to be honest, I can't remember who who gave it to me the first time, but it definitely adds something to the stew, that's for sure. Well, it's always good, I think, to try and shake these things up and and do something different when the, with them as well so it, it would be great if some of the listeners give that a try and I'll certainly give it a try as well and let you know how I get on do, do. So from start to finish how long does it take to, to prepare it Heather? Like it, an Irish stew would take a little over an hour you know you want to give it time as well you don't want to be boiling it too hard you want to give it time for the flavour to develop and um, for the you know for the potatoes to break down so I would say start to finish you're talking an hour and a half but you know put it on while you're doing some housework or doing some some um, something else and uh, and you'll have a nice really comforting um, pot of stew for this cold weather and it's all on the on the hob doesn't go into the oven at any point no I don't put it in the oven no okay lovely and that's one of your favorite dishes yeah just I like earthiness and uh, in in dishes, and I love um, I love the sweetness that the carrots add to it as well. You are the head chef in McCambridge's there on Shop Street in Galway, and I'd imagine maybe Irish stew does it feature on the menu every now and again, or what sort of things are on the menu there? Yeah, we put it on as a special. Um, we use um, we use uh, the Ackle Island Mountain Lamb. Uh, when it's in season which actually is more kind of summer and late fall and we put it on the menu then just to kind of highlight the like I said the lamb the the flavour of the lamb and the uniqueness of that that specific um, type of lamb but we would have we would have it on periodically throughout the year as well as a special and um, and certainly for days like St. Patrick's Day when we're celebrating all things Irish and speaking of all things Irish and celebrating, Galway is going to be celebrating its food festival shortly. Yeah, we're celebrating our fourth annual festival this year. It's on Easter weekend, which is the um, April 2nd to the 6th this year. And there'll be a, a large array of different activities and events that people can take part in. The village will be in the Spanish Arch again this year, which has been uh, proven very successful, featuring lots of producers and suppliers and restaurants and different different food people from around Galway and then we've got this year food tours and talks and demonstrations and a really exciting lineup of it, of events the program is available to look at online at www.galwayfoodfestival.com it sounds like a great weekend, Heather, and I look forward to going up to it. In the meantime, I have to make that Irish stew, and you're going to put the recipe up somewhere for us, I hope. Yeah, I'll put it up on the McCambridge's website, McCambridge's.com, and that'll be up. Um, and it's an easy recipe for novices and a nice, comforting recipe for, um, and something new for people who, uh, you know, maybe have never tried it with the barley before. So. Fantastic. Thanks so much for talking to me this evening. Best of luck with the stew and uh, and happy St. Patrick's Day. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM.
Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us, we heard earlier from Ron of Forestal Wine Merchants. And just before the break, I was chatting to chef Heather Flaherty, who shared how she likes to make her version of Irish stew. Be sure to let me know how you get on with that recipe if you give it a go. Never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all of the previous shows and you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com. Still to come tonight, Karen Coakley has news from the Kingdom. Chef Brian McCarthy will be telling us about Green Supper Club in Cork City. But now, my next guest this evening has travelled from just down the road from the beautiful Adair in County Limerick. His name is Conan McDonnell and he's going to tell us all about his new venture, Be Active Honey. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Conan, you're very welcome to the studio this evening. Thank you. And you have a relatively new company. You started it in August last year. That's right, yeah. Be Active. Yeah. It's honey and honey products and bee products. Bee products, yeah. Are you a beekeeper? I am a beekeeper, yeah. Was it a hobby? Yeah, it's it's it was a hobby. It's it, it's it still is to a large extent. Um I started keeping bees. Uh, I think I'm in my ninth year now of keeping bees. And what what got you interested in them? Well, I'm, my wife, uh, my now wife, my girlfriend at the time, just said, "Wouldn't it be nice to have her own honey?" And uh, I have. There's no beekeeping uh, people in my family. It wasn't anything like that. And I just said, "Yeah, it sounds like a nice idea." So I went and did a very short course with the Limerick Beekeepers Association. And you know, a couple of weeks after the course, I had. A hive of bees in my garden, and that was where it started. Well, you make it sound very straightforward, and I'm sure that's not the case at all. Like, how do you go from not having a hive of bee, a, a, yeah, a hive of bees in your garden, to having a hive of bees in your garden? Well, I, I, I suppose I was very fortunate that um, when I joined the Limerick Association, there was a man who was living uh, just 500 meters down the road from my parents. Uh, who'd been a, a neighbour all our lives. He was, you know, he's he's in his uh, he's in his sixties now, I suppose. But uh, I didn't know he had bees, and uh, I saw him at the meeting, and uh, I just met up with him, and I said, "Look, I want to get bees," and he 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 very happily furnished me my first my first hive. And uh, that's that's how I got started. So is that the way it works? You have to buy some sort of a structure yourself and then somebody actually gives you a hive? Yeah, typically, I mean, you can go and buy the bo- the, the, the wooden box that they, they live in and the frames that they live on. Um, you can buy that online. Uh, you know, it's a normal purchasing thing. Um, bees then, um, there are different ways of getting bees, but you can actually buy, just buy bees. You can buy uh, what they call a nucleus hive or a nuke hive, which is typically about five to 10,000 bees and uh, costing anywhere between 100 and 200 euros. Um, so people do sell uh, nucleus hives. Um, you, if you're fortunate enough to catch a swarm of bees, you can catch a swarm that way. It's a good way to get free bees, but generally people do buy them. Um, or their local association might support them in in that. So somebody might give you a hive the way you were given a hive, like down the line if somebody came to you and said they wanted to start doing it, you might give them a hive. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm I'm very active in the Limerick Beekeepers Association and the chairman actually. So, and we have about over 90 members at the moment and a lot of whom don't have hives. Um, So um, we either try and set them up with someone who will sell them uh, for a reasonable price, sell them sell them a nuke of hive or give it to them if they're willing to. Um, we also have a, a uh, an apiary, a training apiary, an association apiary, and we, we do uh, manage to do some, get some bees from that and supply some members from there as well. It's all very interesting now because it's honey is something that is becoming very prolific on the market and all the different types of honey. What influences the flavours? Is it the way that they're kept, the weather? It's do you what do you what do you give them? What do you have to do to maintain them? It's the taste and the flavour just comes from the flowers that they feed on, the nectar that they feed on. So um, you know, honey is is um, pretty much exclusively sugar and water um, but it's the other 5% of things that go into making honey that gives it its unique flavour and its colour and honeys can range from almost completely clear uh, 
uh, coloured, like almost water-like to, to black. And it's down to the plants that, that the nectar is collected from, and that's where it gets its flavour. So as a beekeeper then, do you feel an onus to have a nice garden with lots of nice flowers in it? Um, I, I, you know, I, I like to think that, um, you, sh- you know, it's nice to have an interest in gardening in some sense if you're going to keep bees, but it's not necessary. Um, people, people are very aware of gardening more these days and whether your bees are kept in a small back garden in a city location or whether you're in uh, a rural location, it doesn't matter, um, you know, as long as you don't have too many hives for the amount of food that they have in the area, it's usually not a problem. Well, you said nine years ago you got into it. That's right, yeah. But it was last year when you started actually making the honey That's right, yeah. to sell it. What took you so long to go from well, bridge I mean, that I, I've, um, I was always a hobby beekeeper. Um, I, I was a car salesman up until 2008. When the recession started, I was made redundant. So I went to college. I went to LIT and I started a degree in chemistry. And uh, when I f- when I was kind of getting to my final year, um, all the time while being a beekeeper, um, the honey from the ivy had was not really beekeepers weren't really happy with getting it. They often, um, for various reasons, its flavor is, is stronger than the normal shop honey you'd buy, and also extraction of it is very uh, difficult because it, it granulates very fast, it granulates in, within the comb. So those two things kind of meant a lot of beekeepers didn't really like it. And, and I always felt that it had some value. And uh, the ivy plant itself is, uh, it's a very medicinal herb. And, and I kind of, I wanted to marry my love of beekeeping and my newfound knowledge of chemistry. So um, when my degree finished, I decided to do a master's and I started uh, researching um, in LIT. I started researching more about the ivy plant and I realized that it's, you know, uh, extracts from its leaves are sold all over the world to treat um, cough, uh, persistent cough. And you know, I thought this was very interesting. And uh, so I started analyzing the honey to see if it had um, the same kind of compounds that are present in the plant to see if it could possibly have uh, a therapeutic effect. The ivy plant being common ivy, ivy that you see growing up over people's houses. Yeah, common ivy, yeah, heterohelix, yeah. Um, so it, it is, uh, it, I mean, I, I don't think we're very aware of kind of her, herbal medicine in Ireland as they are in other certain parts of Europe, particularly in Germany and Poland, places like that. Um, there's a very um, strong link to that and to folklore. It didn't really ever ever leave, which it kind of did in Ireland a bit. Um, and it wasn't until I started looking at research papers, scientific papers, and there was just so much data on ivy um, on and cl- up to the clinical trials, which is kind of rare with herbal plants. There's actually been a lot of clinical trials done um, to show that it is very effective. And it's an accepted herbal medicine uh, in Europe and all over the world. So that was kind of, uh, without getting into the chemistry too much of it, there was, there was um, a couple of particular compounds in the plant which were uh, supposed to have this benefit. So they were what I was really trying to prove uh, or disprove were actually present in the honey. So this is one of the products and it's the bee active raw ivy honey. So this, people would take this for medicinal purposes. Yeah, I mean, there's no, I I like to think that it has the therapeutic effects. Um, you know, I don't want to get confused with medical grade honey or saying that it's not, uh, it is a food, it's just a food. It's not a medicine. Um, but um, there's been a lot of, um, you know, there is a lot of talk about Manuka and how good Manuka is. And um, it's it's sort of, the honey can have um, therapeutic benefits that are that come from the plant. Well, Manuka honey would, like people would take, they wouldn't take it just to enhance the flavour of something, would they? Not typically, no, no. I'm, I'm just tasting this now and I, I'm not a lover of Manuka honey, but this is actually quite nice. The initial taste, it's you kind of think, no, this is not going to be good. But then the aftertaste is quite pleasant. Most people find that it's, um, some people who aren't big honey eaters, you know, it's too sweet for them. And ivy honey actually isn't as sweet as other honeys. No, it's definitely not. And that's, I think it's a very, it's a good thing. Um, And the reason why I believe uh, that is, is because honeys contain mostly two sugars, that's glucose and fructose. And we perceive uh, most 
honeys are, are have more fructose than glucose, and we perceive fructose as being sweeter than glucose. But ivy has quite a lot of glucose in it, more than fructose, and I think that's why it's not uh, terribly sweet honey. I'm actually surprised how nice that is, I have to confess. The other one, the Irish blossom honey, tell yeah. me about this, because I suspect now this is something that I would love in my porridge every morning. Yeah, this is more of a, uh, you know, a table honey or an everyday honey, um, and it, it just has that beautiful Irish uh, honey flavour. Um, it's, it's, it's a summer honey, um, so okay. it would be uh, depending on what the bees fed last summer. So it could be there, there would be dandelion, there could be um, blackberry in there, there could be clover in there. So there'd be different flowers, different different nectars going into that. Do you only get honey in the summer, or when is it all year round, or what way does it work in terms it, of yeah, the bees you, you producing kind of, the honey? Yeah, you kind of have two. Um, there's there's the late spring, early summer flowers that that would produce um, some honey and then there's actually um, there's a gap in the middle of the year and June is not a great month for bees they actually find it hard to find food there aren't that many flowers July is similar Um, and then you have the late summer flowering plants then so uh, late July and August then would be when typically when when the main crop would come in for for beekeepers so um, the great thing about ivy is that it flowers very late in the year. The flowers don't typically open till the end of September, right through October, and in mild winters right into December. So it's possible for for me as a beekeeper to to take off my my summer main crop at the end of August, and then um, put an empty honey box back on again in late September when the ivy comes into flower. So I can guarantee that that's the only. Uh, honey that's in the honey boxes is just coming from ivy because there's no other source uh, of nectar for the bees at that time of the year. Honey then that you get at the start of the summer and before the ivy season comes in so to speak then or from year to year can it taste very different? Oh definitely yeah Um, I mean typically a honey box I'd say would have 10 or 12 frames in it and if they'd be all full of, of honey and sometimes a flow of some flowers might stop and another one would start and you'll actually end up with two different coloured honeys in the same box. So um, the way bees, bees honeybees don't feed on flowers like bumblebees. Bumblebees will go from at one plant to another. They'll just hop along and they don't mind. Whereas bees, a uh, honeybee, when she's out foraging for nectar, she will stick to the, to the same type of plant until that plant or that tree is finished. So if it's if it's if there's dandelions on the ground and there's apple blossoms overhead, she will just feed on the dandelions. She won't. She will just completely ignore the apple. So you do get characteristic honeys, but you know, um, we're, you wouldn't get a huge crop from either. So just you tend to just when you're extracting it, it's whatever is over the summer is what goes into the to the bucket at the end of the day. How many bees do you have at the moment? I don't actually have uh, quite a lot of hives. I don't really have the time to manage them. Um, I have about eight hives at the moment. And the other half of, of uh, Be Active is uh, Dr. Michael Geary, and he lives in Ballyperine in South Tipperary, and he has about 15 hives. Um, he's very active in the beekeeping community in South Tipperary. Um, so we would... Um, we would look to kind of we would have a lot of contacts obviously of other beekeepers in Ireland and we would we we would also buy honey from them um because we're we're obviously we want to get as much product out to as many people we think it's a great product and to do that we need to we need to we need to buy in some on top of our own stocks but we only buy from Irish beekeepers okay well if people want to find out more you have a web address there ivyhoney.com ivyhoney.com all yes. the details are there and there's a list of stockists there as there's well a list of stockists and we, we, we talk about uh, honey in general why honey is so good why anti, why honey is antibacterial and we talk about ivy honey and uh, we talk a little bit about manuka as well there's a lot of information on the website great well Conan thanks so much for coming in to me this evening and I enjoyed the tastings there thank you thanks for having me You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM.
Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking about Bee Active Honey which is made in Adair with Conan McDonnell. Earlier on in the programme Ron Forrestal was talking wine and chef Heather Flaherty told us how she likes to make her Irish stew and you can listen to those interviews again later in the week when they go up in The Best Possible Taste podcast which is on SoundCloud. It's great to be chatting to guests from Galway and Limerick on this St. Patrick's Day and we'll be hearing from Cork shortly. But before that, let's find out what Kenmare foodie Karen Coakley is up to in the Kingdom of Kerry. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Karen, welcome to the show this evening. Hi Sharon, thank you. And what news do you have from the Kingdom for us tonight? There seems to be lots happening in the Kingdom at the moment. Kind of come through a quiet winter and spring, certainly everything is kicking off. Um, what I have to start off with is Cyril Durand. I think we've spoken about Cyril before. He's the head chef in the Riverside Hotel in Killarney. And there's a French day happening this Thursday, the 19th of March. Now it's being run by Alain Ducat, who's one of the top chefs in the world. And basically what it is, is 150 countries around the globe are involved in this. There's eight restaurants from Ireland picked. Surreal is one of the, the Riverside is one of the restaurants. It's the only restaurant in Munster, so this is a very good thing for Surreal. I think he told, said to me that Le Cravan is one of the other ones, and that's Michelin-starred restaurant. So basically on the night, Surreal will be running a French, a French menu. He's got some fabulous stuff on there. The classics like um, French onion soup. He has... Mm, hang on, I spoke to him now. He has, okay, um, cacavan, which is fabulous. Um, seafood cassoulet. Now, he's using Irish seafood in his cassoulet, so that's obviously an Irish um, twist in it. Roulette of confit of duck, which I love, absolutely love roulette. Um, nougat for dessert. Uh, dark chocolate minot. Now, I know Cyril's um, dark chocolate fondant. I've tasted that and it's died for it's 45 euro per person, and he said the hotel is also doing an overnight race, a special overnight race. Okay, that sounds like a cool night. Are you going yourself? No, I'm not, because I have a cookery class myself. I'm doing cookery classes now, so I'm giving a curry class myself on Thursday night, so I'm gutted. Tell us a bit quickly about your cookery classes. My cookery classes, I got approached by a friend who was following my Facebook page, and she asked me to come to her house. She was going to get her friends in and to do a cookery class for them because basically she just wanted to learn the basics and I've been talking to a lot of my friends and it seems they don't know the, like the basics of making soup and things like that. So what she did was she invited eight of her friends, they all brought a bottle of wine, I prepped everything at home, I rocked up with my ingredients, I cooked for them, I laid it all out, they ate, so it was like a demo and dine. I think they got to bed at five o'clock in the morning, I left at about half eleven and gathered up. Very sensible. So basically I'm doing that, it was 25 year old a person is what I charge them and they bring their own wine and I'm also giving cookery demos here in Kinmare as well which is 30 euro and there's um, information on my Facebook page on those Okay, great Now you're talking about kitchens there and prepping stuff in your kitchen and going to somebody else's kitchen but you've actually come across Kerry Incubator Kitchens Yeah, this is a fantastic idea and it was Brendan O'Connor of Barbecue Joe's was going to check it out and we friends so Brendan said look, why don't you come along and have a look Basically, Kerry Incubator Kitchens is owned by Arlene McAlure and it's based in Farron 4. It's the ideal location. You have the train station, you have the bus stop, and if you want to fly in, you've even got the airport. So, I mean, they're very accessible. Now, she said she's got clients come down from Dublin on the train. They come in, they use the incubator kitchen, and they're gone again, and they have their products then sent around the country. The idea stemmed from herself and her husband returned from the States, and they have Killarney toffee, which is the most amazing toffee that I have ever tasted. I'll get back to that in a second. They needed somewhere to produce their toffee, so they needed a kitchen. So they decided what they would do, instead of just building one kitchen, they have three kitchens there, like two kitchens and a bakery, and then upstairs they've got a demo kitchen, which can be used for cookery demonstrations, for corporate events. They have done, you know, pop-ups and things like that there. So it's an absolutely fantastic idea. They also run HACCP courses, which I think is brilliant. I might have to go to one of those myself for the way things are going for me and getting busy. Um, what I liked about it as well is that Eileen is hands-on. So if you are an artisan producer and you want to take you know, your products from making your kitchen to a clean, sterile environment, HACCP-approved environment, you can go to Eileen. Eileen will show you all about cleaning and everything, and every place is cleaned down after you leave it's spotless there and then once every week they do a deep clean 
the same with the bakery. As far as I can remember, the bakery gets a deep clean every day because of gluten and all of that kind of stuff. They've got a fantastic loading bay out the back, so you can rock up with your your stuff to the back and bring it in. They've got a storage area for people who use it regularly. They've got freezers. It's an absolutely fantastic facility. So this is for maybe people that want to start making cakes, jam, things like that, to sell them commercially. And they they need to have a HSE-approved kitchen, and it can be a lot of work to get that done in your own house so they can hire out the facility there. Public liability insurance and all of that is covered. Um, Another service that she offers is, let's say, if you have an existing product or a new product and you're not entirely sure about it or the flavours or where you should take it, they offer um, a testing. So she has 16 people that she calls in and let's say they blindfold test. They don't know anything about it. And then they'll give their feedback and then Eileen will write up her report and she'll send it out to you. Um, they do brochure photography. So let's say, you know, the kitchens are, they're like working kitchens. They're fabulous. Um, she watches, she's got a blast freezer there, which is fantastic for people who, you know, are preparing ready meals. So they're in there, they're cooking the ready meals and they need to get them taken down to a certain temperature before they package them. So they, they blast chill them. It's just a fantastic facility. Um, so she said brochure photography is another thing where you have, let's say, a food company. It could be a small food company and they're taking the first step into promoting themselves and selling their stuff. So you come in, you cook your stuff, you set it up, stage it nicely, bring in your photographer and, you know, away you go. Okay, and you mentioned that they're actually doing toffee themselves. Oh, they're doing toffee. <laughs> we spent the morning with her and then at the very end we sat down and had a cup of coffee and she introduced us to Killarney Toffee. Do you like dime bars? Not a huge fan. My God, I love them. From when I was a child, big fan of dime bars. But this is like the dimeiest dime bar I've ever tasted. Divine. Um, It's not a soft toffee. It has, you know, that texture of dime bars. It's quite crunchy, quite brittle. Mm. Like that. Covered in chocolate. The one I had had, it was milk chocolate with pecans on the outside. Just delicious. The four flavours she has are milk chocolate, chocolate almond, milk pecan and dark chocolate. So very unusual flavours. Very unusual flavours. Yeah, it's not like any toffee I've tasted. I loved it. I just would really rate it as being the nicest toffee ever. I'm not a huge chocolate lover, but I love toffee and I love salted caramel. And I just think there are so many things that this toffee can do. I would love to see this toffee on, because it's local, again, menus in restaurants around Kerry, around Tralee, around the county, you know, where you have, oh God, like chocolate, or you can have like a salted caramel pot or put it into cheesecakes or anything. It's delicious. And moving on then from toffee to beer? Yeah, I spent this morning tasting beer. Clarny has three new breweries. This morning we went, well, two, and I heard there's a third one coming up. Uh, Craft beers are the in thing. What I like about this and what I think sets this apart it's Torque Brewery, and it's just outside Killarney, out by Cool Clashla. This man is just so passionate about what he does. I can see this brewery when all the other ones have popped, because I do think it's a thing that's going to mushroom and it's going to implode. I think it's going to be very select, very small, authentic breweries are going to be the ones that are staying. And I can see this one. Having spoken to him this morning, this has a staying power. At the moment, he's brewing 500 litres at a time, and he's brewing them in old dairy tanks from the 1970s that have gone around to other breweries, and even that in itself, I love that whole ethos. He's doing everything by hand. This morning, he showed us all the different malts that he used. He's explained the difference in all the malts. He gave us a taste of the malts. So he's actually crushing the malts for the beer himself there. He's buying them in and crushing them. The whole process itself, it would take me an hour to explain it to you because it is very long, but I am going to write a blog post about it soon. He started last Christmas and it's taking off for him. He's already in 11 or 12 bars in Killarney and in Brown's Bar in Castle Island. Um, From when he starts brewing to when he can actually pull off the the beer, it's about five to six weeks. Um, And it's just, he's doing it all by hand, Sharon, you know, even as down to taking out the, the beer to test the sugar, see if the yeast is ready. You know, he's doing that by hand, you know, sizing it off and putting it into bottles and putting the labels on the bottles. It's all being done by hand. Now, he is saying production is going to have to step up. He is going to have to buy bigger tanks. But he can never see himself going down the road of being, you know, in supermarkets all over the country. That's not what he wants. He's, he's just so passionate about it. He wants to kind of stay within Cork and Kerry, if that makes sense to you. Absolutely, yeah. So he just wants to keep it select. Yeah, 
Jesus. Quality over quantity. Quality over quantity, and that's what happens sometimes. You know, it is quality over qu- quantity, and I just—I was totally sold by his vision. Um, basically, he uses four ingredients. It's all done by hand. He uses water, water, malt, hops, and yeast. Um, he was the idea came from. He didn't like any beers that were available on the market here in Ireland. And he had started to dabble around with homebrew, and then he went to live in Belgium. And, of course, Belgium has, you know, the fabulous beers, the same as Holland and, I think, France, much the same. And then when he came home, a friend of his suggested that they start brewing. And they did, since they're up, they're flying. They're taking off big time. Now, he has, you have the hops, um, and he's buying his hops. Hops grow on a vine. learned this today as well, and everybody did the hops he's buying, he's buying them from America. Now, he said there is going to be a problem. There is going to be, like, a world shortage of hops. So he's thinking of looking to uh, Britain or Germany to buy, you know, more small-scale hops. But things like he explained that I never knew, you know, the aromas inside in the hops, the hops actually smelled quite citrusy. I was very surprised. I expected a really strong beer smell. The hops smelled very citrusy, and it's the oils inside in this when you open it up. Um, and the hops are put in at the last stage of brewing, and that then is where you get the citrusy flavour added to the beer, like as he would say, some of his beers, one of them, the pale one, um, tastes like grapefruit and citrus. It's just, it's a fantastic, fantastic thing, and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> it sounds very exciting, very interesting also, so I look forward to reading about it on your blog, yeah. kenmerfoodies.com, and thanks a million for coming on tonight to share all the Kerry news. Sharon, thank you very much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Great to chat to Karen and keep an eye on her Facebook page, Ken Mare Foodies, for details of her demo and dine nights and other events that she is hosting. Time to turn our attention to other events now and one that was brought to my attention is a new supper club. It's hosted by Green's Restaurant in Cork City and I spoke recently to its chef, Brian McCarthy, to find out more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Brian McCarthy from Green's Supper Club. Thanks for joining me this evening. No problem whatsoever, Sharon. And you're going to tell me what exactly the Supper Club is. It's a, it's a pretty new thing that we have in Green's restaurants, so it's, uh, it's in its infancy, but we're, we're hoping it will be a great success in the future. What made you decide to actually create a Supper Club? Well, well it was... It was um, our general manager, Arthur Little, and myself we kind of came up with the idea. It really started out of a, we did a, a forage in October with, as part of a Eurotalks event. We did a mushroom forage in the morning with Mark and Lucy Cribben from Ballyhorra Mountain Mushrooms. And we did a lunch back in Green's Restaurant afterwards. And it was just a really successful event. We had over 50 people at it. And it just became a thing that if we did an event like that once every once a month, once every two months, then uh, it could be a great success. And it's like giving something back to regular customers and bringing new people as well. The first one was uh, was a few weeks ago, where we had a, a, a wine a wine and food evening with uh, La Bascula wines from Rioja in Spain, where we had the actual winemaker over and the the Irish uh, suppliers and they did a tasting on the wines and uh, a couple of talks and stuff like that and we had a tasting menu of the food matched with their wines of course and that was the first event and we're we're planning the second one now for uh, Thursday the 26th of March. And what's the theme for it? It's going to be uh, monster food traditions so it'll be things like, kind of like the Waterford Blah, um, tripe, Drachine, Crubines, um, limerick ham, spiced beef, but of course taking all, all of those traditional Munster ingredients and trying to do them green style by do, doing a dish that uses them but also showcases the style of food we do in greens. Whenever you say club, it makes it sound like you have to pay to join, but that's not the case. No, it's totally free to become a member. Um, you just have to send us a, a tweet at Green Cork or a message on Facebook, Green's Restaurant. Or you can email the, the GM to gm at isaacs.ie and you can become a member and it'll add you to our mailing list and you get there will be a, month, a monthly newsletter in the future and it will give you a preferential booking to the events which can fill up very, very quickly. The last, that, that forage was oversubscribed as was the last event 
and um, we're hoping that events in the future as well will prove to be just as successful. So being being a member of the club gets you preferential booking and it also gives you preferential booking then for the restaurant for table-wise. A lot of people like to sit at the waterfall or in the, the snug and just by being a member of the club, if you were to email in, say a member of the club, you get a preferential book, booking for that and also for you know things like New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day, anything anything where it'll be very busy. The, the jazz weekend in Cork. How much is a typical evening? The, the last, the last two were it, it was wine. It was food and wine included were fifty nine euros. Which, considering there were seven, eight course tasty menus with matching wines and champagne receptions, were pretty good. But we're, we're not obviously not hoping to to be to be that kind of price for everyone. We're hoping to do some other smaller events that where it might be only twenty five euros, like let's say like a, a craft beer and food matching workshop where you'd be tasting some beers, tasting some food and working out which which beers are going well with which food. Of course, with an export export into to talk about the beers, somebody from the, the microbrewer to talk about the beer, That those kind of evenings or, or a, a butchery workshop where you'd have a barbecue in the summertime afterwards and again, the, the price range will differ, we try to keep a, to keep a, a good mix for every, every person's taste and pocket Give listeners the web address there so that they can go on and yeah. find out all the details It's uh, greensrestaurant.com and greens is G-R-E-E-N-E-S there's, there's an extra E in there Fantastic. Okay. Thanks, Thanks a million. Thanks very much, Sharon. Bye. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Nice to chat to Brian there and best wishes with the supper clubs down in Cork City. Other events that might be of interest to you depending on where you are in the country or your inclination to travel. Let's start in County Offaly with Yvonne Carty, a.k.a. Hey Pesto in Tullamore, who has a kids' chocolate cookery class and fabulous fish night coming up. Check out Yvonne's website, heypesto.ie, for details. The kids' Easter classes in County Kerry at Mark Doe's Cookery School Just Cooking are booking up fast, so don't delay if you've children that would enjoy that. Visit justcooking.ie for info. Hook and Ladder are in the cities of Limerick and Waterford and have a mother and daughter, curries and gourmet pizza-making nights on the schedule. Everything you need to know can be found on hookandladder.ie. If you want to be inspired to cook better or if you'd like to explore dishes from the Middle East, the Tannery Cookery School in Dungarvan, County Waterford has what you're looking for. Check out tannery.ie and early booking is advisable. And finally, next week on Wednesday the 25th of March, there's an event called Food for Thought at the Institute of Technology in Tralee. It consists of cookery demos and workshops with chefs such as Mark Doe from Just Cooking, JP McMahon from Anir and the themes being covered include fermentation, the art of smoking food and lots more will be on the agenda. If you have an event coming up, it might be a cookery demo, a product launch or even a fundraiser. Be sure to send me details to s.noonan at live.ie and I'll be only too delighted to give them a shout out here on the diary on Best Possible Taste. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks so much for your company and to all of my guests, Ron Forrestal, Heather Flaherty, Conan McDonnell, Karen Coakley and Brian McCarthy. Don't forget the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. I'll be back at the same time next week, all being well. And until then, enjoy the rest of St. Patrick's Day and bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!